Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. This morning we're going to kick off and we're going to fin- or finish up with a life of praise. Looks radical. Radical. Can you guys say radical with me? Radical. Good stuff. So uh, let's ask a few questions on the topic of radical because uh, with, with various words we, we often have tendencies to think on a specific, specific thing or, or uh, I say elephant and you've got a specific vic- picture and all of us would have to write a few words down on what we think on when we are thinking elephant, this whole room will have different words coming to mind in what they think on when they're thinking elephant. Now, the same thing with when you're getting into the Word, when we're reading and we're studying the Word, we read specific words and we jump to specific conclusions without really thinking about what is the context talking about, what was the author intending through the Scripture. So if you're joining us for the first time this morning, um, you would quickly come to find out that we are Bible-believing church. We value the Word, we get into the Word. Uh, One of the purposes that we gather is to be equipped in the Word. And so that's really important for us. So we're going to get into a lot of word this morning and allow the word to define what radical looks like. But let's open up with a few questions. What does radical mean? What does it look like? Why do we call some people radical? What is our measuring tool? Because I'm sure you've maybe thought of someone, you may be thinking about the guy up front uh, in worship, he was putting up his hands and you're thinking, that guy's radical. Or uh, with a different tone, like, that's a radical. Shaking your head almost. <laughs> Uh, hopefully there wasn't someone like that. But if there was someone like that, I love you, God loves you. Uh, we're not holding that against you. But there's a reason why we see that as radical. There's a reason why we see different things as radical. And we have to ask ourselves the, this question, why is that? What is our measuring rod? What determines someone being radical? But at the core, when we think radical, it's generally someone that does things differently. Differently than what the norm is doing things or how the norm is doing things, the general person is doing things, or it's just generally also different to how I'm doing things. I uh, praise and worship maybe in a specific way. I'm more reserved. And then someone putting up their hands or kind of moving their hips a little bit, uh, you're thinking, man, that guy's radical. Because your comparison is based on you being very reserved and then someone who's not as reserved, you classify them as radical. I'm just using that as, a, as an example. Um, but at the core, it's, it's when someone does things differently to us or to the norm. But ultimately, what radical actually means, it's different to the natural. Different to the natural from a biblical point of view. Radical is living from the supernatural. Radical living is living in the likeness of Jesus. That's basically what radical is about, living radical lives. It's living in the likeness of Jesus. And we get, a, get into some word. So let's look at what that looks like. Radical living, living in the likeness of Jesus. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 7 to 9 from the Passion Translation says, Now would anyone dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Say lost and ungodly. So this is quite a, a, a hectic statement. Uh, um, some translations uh, put that as while we were still enemies of God. Right? So it's not just lost and ungodly. It's like enemies of God. We could not offer God anything. Uh, we were going against the grain, literally. 
Verse 9. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. Son, say unfailing. So his love for us is unfailing. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Now I'm going to look at verse 9 in another translation in a moment. But this is beautiful. Love and radical living will always be demonstrated. It won't just be talk. God didn't just talk a big talk. He demonstrated the love of, of Himself through sending us Jesus. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God. Christ proved God's passion to love for us. This is beautiful. Oftentimes we see Jesus as one kind of being and then we see God as another kind of being. We see uh, God as the angry guy, the Godfather, and then we see Jesus as the peaceful guy, the, the hipster who was just loving and you're just uh, 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 gathering people around campfires and we're seeing Kumbaya and all of those kind of things. Uh, we kind of see, see God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as, as three different characters. It's the same being representing themselves in a different way. It's one God, triunity, triune God. And this is beautiful, verse 8. Do not all translations uh, put it like this? And that's why it's important to look at different translations because some, uh, sometimes we'll find a translation that says one thing a little bit better or it communicates it better than the other one. And then that other one would then again, vice versa, say differently or better than the other one. So it's good to jump from translation to translation. So verse 8 here, it says this beautifully. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us. That's beautiful. It's not Christ proved His love for us, even though they're the same being. But it's beautiful how it, it shares this, this idea in this picture of Christ proved God's love for us by coming to die for us, dying in our place while we're still ungodly and sinners. Um, and uh, it's, it's awesome how, how Paul is also illustrating this, this picture and he's communicating this idea of like, all of us here in this room would probably die for a loved one, someone that is close to us, whether it's a wife, a child, uh, whatever, a very good friend. But this is going much further than that. It's, it's creating this, this parallel between some people who die for a noble person, a good person, but God did much more than that. None of us were noble when Jesus died for us. None of us were worthy when Jesus died for us. None of us could offer God anything when Jesus was sent to die for us. And yet He chose you and me he radically demonstrated His love for us. And so Jesus, throughout His ministry, showed us what radical living looked like. And we're getting into, into this because this is the basis of us starting to live out more radical lives. It comes from looking at the life of Jesus. And this is always where fruit comes from. Fruit doesn't come by, by comparing yourself to another person and feeling unworthy. Fruit doesn't come by looking at the Ten Commandments saying, okay, I'm going to do all of these things every day of my life and I'm never going to fail and I'm never going to do this and I'm never going to do that. That's not how fruit comes. I've tried that. I don't know if some of you have tried that, where you try and be a better person by looking at a list of things, the do's and the don'ts, or, or you, you uh, uh, hear specific messages about this is what a Christian looks like and, and if, if, if you're not there, then you need to get there quickly because God's not pleased with you. That's not Christianity. That's not what God intends for us. Jesus says this beautifully, and this is probably one of the, my, there's various favorite passages of Scripture, but John chapter 15, Jesus just beautifully illustrates where fruit bearing comes from. And He says, come to me, abide in me, be joined to me, 
And that joining, yes, there's a, there's a firstly, there's a spiritual joining where you uh, become born again, you become part of who God is. But then in our minds, we have different things that's hindering us from seeing ourselves one with God. There's different things, and maybe oftentimes it's beliefs about the Word. It's different teachings we receive that, that has created wedges between us and God and seeing a separation, having a separation mentality between you and God. And that separation is only in your mind because from God's point of view, He sees you as one with Him. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with Him. So you're one spirit with God. 24, 7. In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 16, it's also uh, communicating this beautiful uh, point. It says, uh, um, we can come boldly unto the throne room of grace where we find mercy and grace in a time of need. Now that picture that is illustrated and communicated to us it's not a continual thing in your mind it can be a continual thing where we where we position and we choose in our minds to be like okay cool i'm 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 gonna focus in on god now and i'm gonna see that i get to experience grace and mercy in a time of need every time i encounter him but we need to be careful as to seeing ourselves distant from god or seeing him distant from us and then I need to come closer to Him. And then you like you have this mindset and you feel close or you see, feel distant depending on how your week has been or the, the mistakes you've made or how good you've uh, prayed this week or how much Bible you've read. No, when we've come into, we're in. That's why the word in Corinthians, uh, it says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you've become the dwelling place of God. He's there to stay. In the Old Testament, He came and He went uh, and that was a different covenant and things looked different there. But after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on believers and He came to live inside of believers, He's there to stay. And that's why Jesus said, I need to go because if He didn't go, He couldn't die and give us the Holy Spirit present, living in every believer. Up until that point in time, people were limited to experiencing God and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus even while being around Him, physically speaking, because He was limited to His physical body. Now today, He's living in each one of you. And you get to go out into the world and be Jesus to people and live the radical kind of life that Jesus lived. And like I said, let's not jump to, you need to do this, you need to do that. I'm going to show you first and foremost, focusing on, this is the life that Jesus lived. And with the Holy Spirit inside of you, this is the amazing thing with the Holy Spirit and how God created things for us. When we just spend some time with Jesus, it's like spending time with any other human being. What starts happening when you spend time with someone whose, whose jokes are very lame so lame that they're actually funny like when you spend a lot of time with them um <laughs> then uh what starts happening is what starts happening is that person who they are their personality and how they operate it starts rubbing off on you without you need focusing on that right you guys get you get the 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 the, the comparison like you just spend time with them and before you know it you start talking like them or or you start doing this like them it rubs off on you in a natural way without you knowing it. That's God's invitation for each one of us. Come to Him. Spend time with Him. And before you know it, He's rubbing off on you. And before you know it, you're living the kind of life that God created you to live. That's Christianity. That's effortless 
transformation through spending time with Jesus, getting into the Word, uh, allowing your mind and, and your heart to be renewed, and through that, transformation comes. I want to look at verse 9 quickly, just from the King James Version, because maybe some of you got stuck on this. I at least just uh, wanted to, to, to bring about clarity in this. And verse 9 in the end says, it says, You are now righteous in my sight, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. The King James verse 9 says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Who sees the difference there? Did anyone pick up uh, the difference? Uh, let's jump down to, uh, this is now a, a cool way to, uh, to really test whether you guys are paying attention or reading and engaging here this morning. So let's jump to the, the previous translation. The Passion says, You are now righteous in my side, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. King James says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. What's the difference? Anyone, put up your hand if you pick up a, a strong difference. Key focus on wrath. Wrath is the key there, but there's a big difference. You might not pick it up if you're just reading it for the sake of reading it, but there's a huge difference between what the Passion Translation is saying and what the King James is saying. Yeah, or the wrath of God. Do you guys pick that up? So the Passion says you'll be saved from the wrath of God. The King James says you'll be saved from wrath. Okay, I'm not going to get into, into that teaching, but... Oftentimes we think God is about specific things. Oftentimes we put certain labels on God, which is not supposed to be on God. A very good filtering tool, method, is Jesus. If you see it in Jesus, you'll see it in God. If you don't see it in Jesus, you can't find it in God. Where do you find Jesus uh, through wrath kind of... Uh, um, Zapping people and uh, turning them into dust. Where do you find that? In the, the, the ministry of Jesus. You don't find that. At worst, he threw, out, he threw over some, some, some money tables. But that's, that's very, uh, that's not that, that's not what we're talking about. That's not wrath. You don't kind of, that's not how you define wrath when you're seeing wrath in the Bible. And so uh, that's just a side note. Go investigate that a little bit. Um, if you've got any questions on that, then uh, come and chat to me about it. But this is very important to, to, that's why, looking at different translations and investigating a little bit further. King James, just want to read that. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. We can't be, that, like, God would be uh, narcissistic almost. Uh, another word is um, schizophrenic. If He's the one doing the wrath, but He's also the one removing f f the wrath from us, like, if you think about it, just logically, forget about what you've been taught up until now, just think about it logically. That will be a little bit narcissistic. And so if it is narcissistic and we know that God is a God of love, then it means that we're misinterpreting something and we're jumping to specific conclusions that we shouldn't be jumping to. I can see a lot of you thinking, and it's good. Think, study it out, and let's uh, maybe get into it at some point in time as well. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Don't camp there. It was just something uh, for you guys to uh, just uh, scratch the surface a little bit on that front. The wrath of God or save from wrath through Him. Let's look at this. Um, so D Jesus demonstrated radical living for us. So we're looking at the life of Jesus and some of the radical things that, get, that God revealed to us through that. Him dying for us and while we were still sinners. Then Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. And as we're reading through these verses... 
Um, I want you guys to also think about another, another uh, passage of Scripture, just in the, in the back of your mind, for, uh, John chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus says that you'll do the same works as me and even greater works than these because I go to my Father. So in reference to what Jesus is communicating that is, again, I'm going to my Father, meaning that I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit, which is empowering. Acts 1 verse 8 says that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and that power is Ability, it's supernatural ability. We're talking about radical living. Radical living is not living natural lives, but it's living supernatural lives. And so we need supernatural empowering to live supernatural lives. But when Jesus says that John uh, 14 verse 12, you'll do the same works as me and even greater works than these because I go unto my Father. What we often think about when we think about works, we're thinking about supernatural like uh, and it's good supernatural yes you're on the right track but we often think about signs wonders and miracles from a healing point of view or from a uh, um, uh, casting out a demon point of view or or from uh, breaking free from depression point of view and all of those things are also good but we often diminish and forget about the everyday kind of things the radical living where you're not thinking about yourself first, but you're thinking about how is this going to affect the other person. You're not so consumed with self and what you need to get and how you need to budget and this and that and next thing that you're forgetting about how you can be a blessing and incorporate being a blessing into your budgeting. Because that's often what we, uh, maybe some of you this morning, you're doing your budgeting and then after you've done your budgeting, you look at like what is left and you're like, oh, okay, I can't be generous this month. Whereas when you incorporate generosity into your budgeting, your month is going to look a little bit different. And so these kind of things uh, is important for us to think about. And so Jesus, when he says, you'll do the same works as me, let's think along the lines of the selflessness that Jesus demonstrated. Because being selfless in this time and this age is a very radical thing, actually, that you don't see that often anymore. People that are truly selfless, and when I'm speaking truly selfless, let's go a little bit above and beyond just giving someone a five rand at the traffic light or, or preparing someone a meal. Like those things are great and it's good. But if the, 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 the question that I'm often challenging us all on is that if our selflessness is looking the same as an unbeliever's could look, we're selling what Jesus came to do for us a little bit short. Right? If me being selfless and that being radical looks the same as what it can look for an unbeliever, we're missing something. Jesus died not for good people. He died for people who did not deserve it. You and me, that's radical. And this is the kind of radical living of selflessness that we're getting into. In Philippians chapter 2, beautiful passage where the same point is communicated to us. We're going to look at the message translation. It says, Verse 5 to 8 from chapter 2. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought. Now, I also want us to just uh, um, remember again, Philippians and most of the New Testament is written to churches or church leaders. Now, why is that important? Because oftentimes when we're doing Bible study, we're doing Bible study in isolation from the church. What do I mean by that? We, 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 we're approaching our Christian maturity and our walk with God in an isolated manner. Not incorporating the body of Christ and the community that 
it is written to a lot of these uh, uh, letters and references to church communities, to church leaders. Why? Because your Christian walk and your Christian maturity is vitally dependent on your walk and your maturity on the people you surround yourself with. Rubbing shoulders with one, with one another. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2, it's written to a church community in Philippi. And he says, Paul writing to them, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Now, firstly also, when you think about that, and any hard saying or any radical statement that is mentioned in the Bible, if it's said, if there's an invitation to it, it's not setting us up to fail. It's being said with the understanding and the mindset that you are empowered to live in this way. Say, I am empowered to live in the likeness of Jesus. That's your identity. You have been empowered to live in the likeness of Jesus. So when Paul is writing to the church and he says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself, it means that you can think of yourself in the way that Christ Jesus did. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Now, if we have to reshuffle those words and put it in our context, the good, faithful Christian, how often, that, how often do we think of ourselves so much that we're clinging on to our Christian advantages no matter what, forgetting about everyone around us? Present company excluded. I know you guys never do that. Put it in a practical way. Like, how, how often are you caught up in a, in a, in a, in a setting where, man, your, your Christian walk and your, your scriptures on your, on, your, on your mirror in your bathroom and in your Bible, the highlighted ones, how, ma- how many of them are all about you and what you can get from this thing that we call Christianity? A good word? is a challenging word. If Jesus didn't think so much of himself and clinging on to his advantages and the status he had no matter what, we can too have that same mindset. Having this amazing thing with God, our status with God, our right standing with God, knowing that that's not what it is about. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that crucifixion. Again, if Jesus did it, Jesus himself said, John 14, 12, the same works that I do, even greater works than these you can do. And maybe you're sitting here thinking like, impossible. That, that couldn't be what Jesus have meant. That's why you will laugh when people looking at it, they're not seeing and saying radical. Radical living starts in this play. When, we, when you start looking at the life of Jesus, the things He said, the invitations that He's given to us, and we start stirring a desire in our hearts and saying, it is possible. Praise God. The Word says, with man it is impossible. In and of yourself it is impossible. But with God, and you're walking this thing out with Him, it is very possible. All things are possible through Him. 
If we look at this, just the last uh, piece here, instead he lived a selfless, obedient life and then, then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that crucifixion. Selflessness and obedience will always go hand in hand. Selflessness and obedience. Now, obedience isn't a cuss word, guys. Obedience is not a cuss word. It's not a non-grace word. It's actually a word that goes hand in hand with grace. Because it's through the empowering grace and the love of God that we obey. Obedience at the core is a belief and a trust, a dependence on God. Oftentimes we want to, and this is what I don't want you guys to get, I don't want you to look at the, the life of Jesus and the radical life that he lived and say like, oh, no, I need to do that. Like, no, I, it's so difficult for me, but I know I need to do that. I know I need to, to obey and like, that's the right thing to do. And if I want to be radical, it means that I'm going to have to obey. You're putting the cart in front of the horses. What you need to come to see is that obedience is actually something that, that stems from and it's a fruit of trust and dependence on God. That's a better translation of obedience. Dependence on God. Trust in God. Abraham believed in God. He trusted in God. He depended on God. And he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. That's, that's a radical sacrifice. Where did that come from? Trust, dependence on God. Faith that God is good, that God is faithful. And so this kind of radical living and obedience that we're looking at and seeing in the life of Jesus, it stemmed from trust and dependence on God. Knowing God is Father. That's God's invitation for all of us this morning, to come to know God your Father. And through that, it will lead to a radical life that will excite you, a radical life that will get you excited to get out of bed in the morning. A radical life that will get you excited to be at church on a Sunday morning, to go to life group, wherever there's a, there's, a, there's a meeting organized, you'll be excited to be there, knowing the purpose behind it. Obedience is a key to radical living. And so trust and dependence is a key to radical living. How does trust and dependence come? As any other trust and dependence come in human terms. The big T word. Time. Time with God, with His people, rubbing shoulders with one another. So radical living can only truly come from knowing Jesus. Hebrews 12 verse 2, let's go there. From the Passion, it says, We look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's, faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation, and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking away from the natural realm, the natural realm will always contend for our focus and our attention. And I think all of us would have numerous examples of this past week where the natural realm and the things of what the world is kind of focusing on and what's coming onto your social media feeds, the, that new pair of shoes or this or that or next thing. None of those things, buying shoes isn't a sin, guys, but I'm trying to make a point. Oftentimes, this natural realm is a distraction to the radical living that God has invited us to. 
So the natural realm will always be contending for our focus and our attention. It's not that the natural realm is sin in and of itself. Going to the store or buying shoes, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to the store and buying a new pair of shoes every day, we need to maybe talk about uh, where your heart is at. And I see some of the um, couples are looking at one another. <laughs> oh, man, I like shoes as well. I enjoy buying shoes. Um, but yeah, so the, the natural realm will always be contending for our focus and our attention. And when it gets our focus and our attention is when we stop living radical lives. When you start compromising, we start focusing more on the natural realm than looking to Jesus. And that's the invitation. Looking to Jesus, it's always the answer. Looking to Jesus. When you low, look to Jesus. When you high, look to Jesus. Not the kind of high that hopefully some of you are thinking on. Um, it's also fine if you're in that, in that space, uh, God's not holding it against you. Um, but we need to realize that if we're choosing to live in certain ways and, and giving over to certain things, it's actually just damaging our lives. It's harming us. It might feel good in the moment, but it's wrecking your life because the Word says that sin kills. It destroys. It's destructive. Don't play with, with destructive things. It will harm you. It will hurt you. God is not looking at you differently. Um, the people around you might judge you, look at you differently. Hopefully none of us in this room. Um, but there's consequences to choosing to live in sin. But the consequences aren't from God. He looks at you clean. He looks at you as righteous. But it will affect your heart. It will affect your health. So it's important to, to uh, flee those things. But Jesus' invitation to us will always be look to Him. And this is what Jesus did. We look away from the natural realm and focus our attention and expectation on Jesus who birthed faith within us. He set the example of faith for us, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The Passion says, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross. So his radical living came from a place of love. Radical living, his expression of radical love was there because of love. Love motivated him. Love was his motivation. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he radically demonstrated his love for you and me through laying down his life. Romans chapter five, verse oh, Romans chapter eight, verse five to eleven. We're coming to a close. Romans five, uh, oh, sorry, eight five to eleven. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. So we see a comparison here. Motivated by the flesh equals benefiting selves. Impulses of the Holy Spirit or motivated by the Spirit benefits others. So a good faltering here as well is if it's a selfless thought, if it's a selfless action, it's most likely the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then the opposite as well. Now, this isn't like always true, but this is a good filtering system. This is a very safe filtering system if you have to like just look at it from a basic point of view. If it's benefiting you, and again, there's always exceptions. This is not talking about the extreme. The motivation, those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. So this is not talking about a Christian or unbeliever. We're going to look at the, um, just the context now on uh, uh, 
how the King James communicates this. But it's important to realize and understand, as a Christian, you can still be very self-centered. Your self-centeredness hasn't been removed just because you receive God's Spirit, and His Spirit is perfectly selfless. The things in the nature of God and how He wants, you to, uh, how he wants to live Himself out through you is going to come through you yielding to, obeying, submitting to His leading and His guidance. It's not going to just come naturally. It's something that we're going to have to pursue and uh, harvest out of ourselves, so to speak. Verse 6 says, For the sense and reason of the flesh is death. So again, if we're ultimately going to live in this place, it's producing death in our lives. But the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. Maybe you're experiencing so much death in a sense, darkness and dissatisfaction in your life. Maybe it's because you're just living for yourself. And this is not like, I'm not trying to say something hard or harsh. But this is what the Word is communicating. Maybe your life is, is falling apart because you're consumed in yourself. Living for yourself. Doing everything for yourself. Hurting people around you just because you're self-centered, self-focused, and all of the selfish things that, that's out there. This is what the Word says. For the sense and reason of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. When we are following the impulses of the Holy Spirit, we'll experience life and peace. And it's going to always be in the form of benefiting others, being a blessing to others. Because again, Jesus didn't think of himself when he died for you. He thought of you. That's what radical living is about. It's not about thinking of yourself. In fact, verse 7, In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. So a mindset, a life that is continually focused on the natural realm, what I can get and, and all of your plans, and it's just self, 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 me, 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 my plans, what I want, what I want to get, where I want to be. All of that focus on the flesh fights God's plans and refuses to submit to His direction. Now who of you know that the plans in the direction of God is green pastures, still waters, and so maybe you're not experiencing green pastures, still waters, peace, tranquility, so to speak, because you're building your life completely and fully submerged, submerged into flesh, selfishness. Romans 8, let's look at the King James quickly. Romans 8, 7 to 10 says, Because the carnal mind, so now it uses some different words here. The carnal mind, basically the sense mind. Carnal means the, 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 the flesh, the five senses. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh. So this is important. Here, here's a, a perfect example where some translations, I believe the New Living Translation, for example, uh, um, Stay away from New Living when you're in Romans specifically because the New Living Translation gets this, this, this idea of it doesn't perfectly and accurately communicate the new nature and the old nature and what happened to your old nature, the sinful nature. So it often still refers to your sinful nature when it's actually supposed to say your carnal nature because sinful nature is identity, but carnal nature is mindset. Big difference. Okay. 
Maybe uh, it seems like I miss some of you guys there. So, so sinful nature is talking about identity, and the believer does not have a sinful nature anymore. You might be doing sinful things, but it doesn't mean that your nature is sinful. Let me explain it like this. My boys, Chris and Michael, currently age one and a half and going on three, they love to roar like dinosaurs. And they do a very good job at it. Now, that is an action of theirs. Roaring like a dinosaur is an action. Now, if you come to my home and you see them roaring like dinosaurs, you're not going to think like, wow, why does Etienne and Catherine have dinosaurs in their house? (laughs) You're going to see little boys, human beings, acting like dinosaurs. The same thing for us as Christians. When you receive Christ, you receive the new nature, perfectly as He is. But you might still be acting like a sinner. That action does not change your nature. My boys acting like dinosaurs does not change their nature. They're still human beings. They're acting like something else. You might be acting more regularly than you want to like a sinner. Stop it. It's wrecking your life. It's ruining your relationships. But God is not seeing you like that. Stop seeing yourself as a sinner. You're a saint. You're a holy one. You're blameless. You're righteous. Why can I say this? Because that's what the Bible says. But you need to start believing it. Because the more you start believing what the Word says about you, the more it will start affecting the way you live. So let's get back here. So your carnal mind is enmity against God because it's not subject to the law of God, neither can indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh, talking about not being born again yet. You're living in this identity. It's an identity matter. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So that's a fixed position. So here it's talking about in verse 8 specifically, the unbeliever and the believer. You are not in the, in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God dwells in you. Identity, it's fixed. It's signed, sealed, delivered. And then it goes on to say, Now if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is not of his. So further explaining that. If Christ be in you, the body is now dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So throughout Romans, we see this understanding of what happened to you when you received the Spirit of God, but then still having this battle of struggling with certain things. And that is where the, the Christian... The Christian church largely has messed things up for us in our thinking and our, and, our, and our understanding because we're still struggling with things more so than we need to because we don't understand that we've died with Christ and we've been raised new men and women with a new nature. Now we need to renew and transform our minds and become spiritually minded, like verse 6 said, to become spiritually minded, to set our focus on spirit, who you are in Christ. That comes through the Word. We all have the potential to live radical lives. I'm closing with this. We all have the potential to live radical lives, and radical living doesn't come naturally to the believer, like we've already said, and I'm sure some of you already know. It's not something that is radically just there. It's something we need to stir by getting into firstly the Word and rubbing shoulders with one another. So those are just two strong components. It's this radical kind of living is something that we need to stir by getting into the Word and rubbing shoulders with believers. 
just in landing quickly. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this word of God is specifically, that passion says, anointed utterance of the anointed one. So this word of God is specifically in reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So faith comes by salvation, faith by hearing, but then also hearing, which is continual knowing or growing in understanding, which we see in uh, Timothy. God's will is for all to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. So it's both components that are equally important. 2 Timothy 1.6, Wherefore I put you into remembrance to stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands. So it's something we need to stir. Some translations talk about fanning into flame. How do you fan? Like a, it's like a fire. Like there's, a, there's just a few like coals. It's basically busy dying. Then you fan it. And then a flame comes up again. It's something we need to actively stir. Acts 2 verse 42 says, And then they continued steadfastly. Say steadfastly. So they continued steadfastly. It was something they did continuously, and it's something that they did uh, uh, like a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a passionate manner, in a radical manner. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. So there are two things. There's a lot that we see in uh, Acts chapter 2 that the, the church did and uh, engaged in. But two things I want to highlight for us here, which we are talking about radical living and things that will help us facilitate this, is doctrine and in fellowship. Getting into the Word and in fellowship with one another. Rubbing shoulders. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. So we need to become students of the Word, not just readers of the Word. Not just having five minutes devotion where we read something just to read something. But we need to engage, ask ourselves, in light of this passage that I'm reading, in light of this message that I'm hearing, is there any course corrections I need to make? Is there any things that I need to lay down? Like, I'm just living for myself. My budget looks like X. This is how I'm spending my money. Like, is God nudging me to start spending my money differently? Start budgeting differently? It's good to ask those kind of questions, engaging in, how is this word speaking to me? How is this word challenging me? And what can I do to step into this fruitfulness that is being invited through this word? Rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need to come acquainted with what is the right way to divide the word of truth. And the easy filter is always, does it glorify and magnify Jesus and what he has done? Or is what you are reading magnifying yourself, what you need to do? That reality of Christianity is focused on what Jesus has done for you. That is what we always want to magnify, what Jesus has done for us, not what we need to do for him. Let's go to Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Discover creative ways. Say creative ways. So discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards what? Acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. Some have uh, formed the hammer, habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge one another onwards as we anticipate today drawing. And um, the King James communicate this uh, creative ways, um, this, this stirring or encouraging as, as provoking. And so we get to provoke one another unto love and good works. And these love and good works, again, it's important to uh, communicate. It's not just talking about things that the unbelieving world can do. The best demonstration of love and good works is giving someone Jesus. The best way that you can demonstrate true love to someone is by giving someone Jesus. Psalm 143 verse 10. I just want to obey all you ask of me. So teach me, Lord, for you are my God. 
Your gracious spirit is all I need. So lead me on good paths that are pleasing to you, my one and only God. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca